You're listening to the Community Action Podcast, Building Opportunities for All, brought to you by the National Community Action Partnership. Hello, everyone. This is Denise Harlow. I'm the CEO of the National Community Action Partnership, and welcome to Episode 5 of the National Community Action Podcast, Building Opportunities for All. Today, we want to talk about um, the Community Action Partnership's Learning Communities Resource Center. Uh, This training and technical intensive training and TA project um, is funded by the Office of Community Services um, through CSBG TNTA to really help do deep dive learning um, with local agencies, state associations, and state offices. I'm joined today by Tiffany Marley, our Director of Practice Transformation. Thanks for being with us here today, Tiffany. Thank you, Denise. LCRC, as we tend to call it at the at the main office, but the Learning Communities Resource Center is probably in what its fifth year or so. And I know you guys have modified the way we've been doing this intensive TA. And I know that we are just in the process of wrapping up kind of the recruitment for the 2019 cohort. Um, can you give us a brief overview of what kind of learning goes on in these intensive learning communities? Sure, Denise. I'm happy to do so. And uh, it might make sense for me to to start uh, just by talking about what the learning community itself is. Uh, really, the learning community is the hub um, for the Community Action Network to share innovations um, and to access those po- those proven um, strategies that move families and communities forward. Um, in particular, we as a network are in- invested in really uprooting poverty and um, changing lives and transforming communities. And the learning community gives us a vehicle a space, a laboratory by which to do just that. And so with that in mind, um, recognizing that in a lot of ways, um, there there continues to be uh, a war on the poor um, in our society and in, in terms of combating uh, that, that, that war, we can't continue to do things in, in, in the same old ways uh, if we're uh, really seeking to address the very complex issues that families face. I feel like I just got long-winded, so I got to come I gotta come out of that. I got to come out of that. So we're <laughs> talking about community action, I know, and, and the fabulous work that agencies do. Our network is out there every day being innovative, and what LCRC really does, I think, is try to capture that great peer learning, um, share it with the folks or intensive learning in these spaces and then sharing those products and um, learning with the broader network. Yes. Um, What are your topics? uh, What are some of the key topic areas that you've addressed over the last few years that our agencies are going to be able to benefit from the learning? So our focus areas include um, topics like financial empowerment for families, uh, integrated services, which really serves as a 
overarching uh, focus uh, that also includes uh, topics like the whole family approach or the two generation approach. We've also in the past focused on decreasing family homelessness, trauma-informed approaches. This year, we're excited to offer uh, focus in the following areas, community economic development focused on social enterprise, results at the community level, which uh, specifically is going to be focused on collective impact, health intersections, and we'll continue our work um, focused on intensive TA for communities working on the whole family approach as well. Thanks, Tiffany. I mean, that really, you really highlighted the terms that we hear on when we talk about transforming how we um, help families build um, towards success. I heard social determinants of health. I heard um, trauma-informed care. I heard financial capability. I heard two-generation approach. And we know that within the network of community action, there's somebody's trying everything that's that's going on and in many places they are really leading the efforts to deploy these evidence-based practices um can you talk a little bit about um the whole family approach a little bit more i i, I know that we've been engaged with the casey foundation i know we've been invested with aspen ascend around uh, the two-generational approach over the last few years are there any particular components you'd like to talk about when it comes to two gen and our learning communities resource center Absolutely. Uh, first of all, just want to emphasize our appreciation to the Annie E. Casey Foundation for their investment um, in our efforts in this space. It's really allowed our learning and our thinking to go to the next level. As one, um, I, I will point to just some historical information and say that it was about three or four years ago that there was an investment made uh, in what we called the Rural Impact Initiative, which focused on two-generation approaches in rural and tribal places. And that investment was made by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and various other uh, federal partners. And additionally, to support some of the technical assistance efforts for those um, 10 sites who were involved in that demonstration project, the Annie E. Casey Foundation and the Kellogg Foundation offered support to, to help to sustain that work. And so it only uh, then made sense in, in many regards for us to think about how we might scale that work out uh, in a deeper and a more impactful way from the community action um, point of view. And within the last uh, within the last year, in particular, uh, there have been ten uh, different community action agencies nationally who have subscribed to what we call our whole family approach community of practice. In addition to that, those community action agencies who were involved in the Rural Impact Initiative became Rural Impact Fellows and also joined in that community of practice where we as a, a group 
uh, have been learning more about what the whole family approach is. And let me take a moment to define that for us. Basically, our assumption is when the needs of children and their parents are addressed together, then the outcomes are maximized. Or maybe another way of putting it is basically placing the family at the center um, of the the agency's efforts um, by providing high quality and intensive services for both children and their parents together. And so with that that definition or that understanding in mind, we have engaged in a series of 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 learning and thinking around uh, what it means for organizations, for CAAs to do business differently. And so with that in mind, we have given attention to how the, the agency thinks about and collects its data, how the organization engages with its staff and trains and resources staff. Uh, We talk about ways in which the organization itself may partner with uh, community stakeholders. Uh, We we, we talk about ways to enhance the services that are provided, particularly in the early childhood space, but it's not exclusive to early childhood, as well as on what those high quality services might be um, related to parents in terms of obtaining skills and accessing education and ultimately accessing employment that that really allows for them to be able to care for the well-being of their families. And as we think about our our whole framework, which, uh, as you've already alluded to, Denise, is very much informed um, by um, work and research offered by Ascend at the Aspen Institute, but other experts in the field, uh, we are are very much... um, informed um, by a framework that that really thinks about not only early childhood education and post-secondary um, and employment pathways, but also thinks about ways that we might strengthen health and well-being um, for children and their parents, um, ways that uh, that social capital uh, might be developed and um, cultivated in a meaningful way. And, you know, I argue that this whole notion of social capital is like one of the biggest assets that a family could have that we probably should spend more time learning about and researching. And that has to do with a, a family being able to access all of the people um, within um, their social network that provide them with support and ideas and access to opportunity. And so as, as, as a cohort, we, we dive very deeply uh, into all of these topics and have really um, worked in a way that um, provides the participating agencies with technical assistance as they think about what their specific 
um, outcomes need to be in response to the needs or the problems that they have identified in their communities and how they would like to get there within the short term and also in the long term, Denise. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's that intentional deep dive. And, and agencies have been doing so many of those components. And I know it's about the intentionality component. I'm glad you raised the data collection piece because we know a, that's a challenge for any multi-service organization with multiple data systems, but how do you track and, and talk about the outcomes that a whole family can achieve over a period of time now? There's a ton of information out there from academia. We know the think tanks. But we also know that there are many products that have been produced by the Learning Communities Resource Center that talk about how community action agencies have been successful in transforming their service delivery model, being intentional about, let's say, financial capability development. And I know we have tools and resources and case studies. Um, they don't always get out. We, we just keep, we, we produce a ton of stuff. Can you talk a little bit about how agencies can access that direct community action, experiential learning, the tools and products that you've been producing over the last few years? Yes. So the best way that agencies can access all the wonderful tools and resources is to join the learning community. And we have annual opportunities for agencies to sign up for our respective groups. And so that provides a customized um, opportunity for them to connect in with those resources and to also connect in with free technical assistance. At the same time, we recognize that not every agency is in a position where they are able to um, join a cohort at this time. And so we have brought a lot of intention as a project to ensure that our information and resources are ex as accessible as possible. So for example, Every single Wednesday, Denise, at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Every we single Wednesday? Every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, we offer what we call Webinar Wednesdays. And pretty much Webinar Wednesdays gives everybody and the entire network, really the whole world, an opportunity to hear from expert presenters. So that's a chance to, you know, get a quick presentation on a, a specific uh, theme or topic um, of the day and then to connect in with um, what the research and what the resources are that support um, that particular presentation. In addition to that, Denise, if folks uh, go to the Partnerships website. It is www.communityactionpartnership.com. And then just look at the blue bar at the top. There is a link that's called Tools and Resources. And if they hover over Tools and Resources, we have a resource library as well as resources by topics. And then we've curated all the webinars, publications, and toolkits to date. Great. Thank you for that. And thank you for giving us a great overview of the products and the impact um, that the resource, the Learning Communities Resource Center has been able to have. Thanks again, Tiffany. And folks, thanks to stick with us and we'll be right back. Community Action Partnership hosts multiple events over the course of the year. This year we have a new event, April 3, 4, and 5 in El Paso, Texas. Please register now to join us for our Immigration Summit. 
where we talk to folks across the network who are working with families, who are in the immigration space, as well as some national experts to let us know what the legal issues currently are. We also hope that you save the date for late August, um, August 28th, 29th, and 30th, and join us in Chicago for our annual convention, which folks know is the biggest convening of community action folks from across this country, where we will talk about community action being a true voice for change. Today we are joined by Mia Harness from Wayne Metro Community Action. Um, Wayne Metro has been a key player in our Learning Communities Resource Center. Mia, thanks so much for joining us here today. Thanks, Denise. We are so excited to see what progress Wayne Metro has been going through. You really are transforming as an organization. You are working so hard in the city of Detroit. I was able to visit your agency and I was so excited to see all the great projects you guys are working on. Yeah, it, it was great to have you here in July. Um, you know, as most of um, you know, hopefully everyone knows, you know, Detroit is really experiencing what some call a comeback. There is just a ton of revitalization um, going on in, in the city, lots of investments. But, you know, I mean, the reality is there are, there's still quite a bit of, of poverty. You know, there's a 40% poverty rate. Um, so, you know, we really want to make sure that while Detroit and, and economic development and growth and um, um, you know, is 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 growing and flourishing. That um, you know, we don't leave vulnerable populations behind, um, and and that we really play an active role. Um, you know, in ensuring that um, you know the those those key tenets of community action, living out the promise, but also some of the new stuff, mm -hmm. which is um, whole family. Um, those those are being really kind of lifted up here um, in in our work. Well, and your embrace of innovation has really been exciting to see, and we so appreciate you being engaged in the Learning Community Resource Center. Um, that's really been the kind of partnerships investment along with um, the Office of Community Services in terms of um, resources around CSBG, TNTA, to help local agencies engage in intentional learning, to take uh, evidence-based best best practices around um, alleviating poverty and, and putting them into practice. Can you talk a little bit about um, your work in the learning community group and kind of how you decided to put in the time and effort? Because I know it's a big lift uh, for a local agency. Um, why did you decide to go down that road? Um, well, I mean, you know, there we've been, um, we're about a year into a three-year strategic plan. Um, and we really were kind of taking a look at very pervasive problem that we happen to have here in Wayne County, and that is um, an issue of tax foreclosure. So, you know, homes going back to the land banks here, the local land banks, um, lots of housing stock in there, lots of homes that um, haven't been lived in for a while. There's folks living in uh, foreclosed homes mm -hmm. um, that are occupied. So there's just a lot of, a lot of discussion, um, you know, and a lot of, um, Kind of spotlights being shined on this and so um you know we decided we were going to partner with the uh, treasurer's office the city of detroit and we actually got selected um to kind of take part in this pilot you know come up with a model for how to best address the tax foreclosure issue here in wayne county and in detroit and so we thought you know what why won't why wouldn't we treat this as an opportunity to learn why wouldn't we treat this pilot as a way to kind of prove out some of the things that we know work well, but but to kind of bring it not only to um, um, the partnership, 
but also kind of document that work in a different way so that we could take that then back um, to the stakeholders here um, and, and, and kind of share in uh, not just do the work, but mm-hmm. be able to present the work in a meaningful way that um, you know people could really get behind. Well, this past summer when I visited Detroit, it was great to see some of the housing work um, that you're doing um, in the city of Detroit that's really helping to bring back neighborhoods. I saw community gardens. I see. I saw a very uh, an apartment, a multifamily apartment building that you're planning to rehab, which is next door to the uh, Head Start site uh, that you've rehabbed as well. Um, just some really exciting community revitalization stuff going on. Yeah, so, um, you know, Detroit has some amazing um, architecture. You know, they're, they're big, mm-hmm. old, very, um, um, you know, unique homes. Um, and, you know, so that presents opportunity and that also presents um, some challenges. And so, you know, some of the work that we've been doing is 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 kind of taking um, older homes and and working with the land banks to bring those homes back um, to their historical um, kind of splendor. So so that's a it's, it's a program called Rehabbed and Ready. Um, then then there's also some work just trying to help, um, you know, existing residents um, make their homes more uh, well, you know, weatherization, um, conservation with water, um, you know, we've got like minor home repair programs that are going on. And so these are really kind of addressing the housing quality. And then the big gigantic building, um, Denise, that you talked about on our, our, our campus, we actually bought an entire city block inside of the city of Detroit. There sits a community um, community center, which many, many phases, there'll be Head Start, early Head Start a weatherization training house eventually. And, and, and part of that whole vision is some permanent, affordable, supportive housing. So yeah, lots of good stuff going on. And I know the Learning Community Group is focused on peer-to-peer sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share a little bit about what you've kind of gotten out of some of that peer-to-peer sharing and learning and what you think you've contributed to the broader community action um, education about how to do this work that you're working on? So, yeah, I mean, definitely for us, it it was really connecting in with other organizations across the country. You know, Michigan, we're pretty tight here. You know, we've got a network here. Um, But some of the issues, the large systems issues that we're facing here in Detroit, it's hard to find like organizations who are kind of, you know, in, in the same kind of place that we are. And so it was really, really cool to be able to kind of see that that there are other organizations across the country who are kind of tackling some of the, the larger scale systematic issues of poverty that we are um, and, and just kind of, um, you know, feel connected to the other parts of the country. You know, we're not alone in this. There's a lot of really cool, cool work going on and, and, and just feeling, I mean, even with you, Denise, even with the, um, you know, the visit and, you know, you came back and you spoke at our annual meeting, it, it just, it, it feels really, really that there, there's power in that we feel really like more energy. We feel kind of empowered because we're, we, we are connected to this thousand, you know, agencies and we're, you know, that's kind of a big deal. And, and, and without this learning community group, I don't think that that feeling would have been as strong. Mm. Um, so that, that definitely think that strengthen that, that whole feeling of the partnership and the network and all of the resources um, that are available to us agencies on the ground. 
so I, I can't agree with you more about the power of a thousand local agencies coast to coast who have the ability to be nimble enough in a community to take on new projects, be innovative in, in tackling poverty, because what happens and what poverty looks like in Detroit might be different than how Anchorage, Alaska, or Portland, Maine uh, needs to tackle the problem. But agencies are nimble. They're willing to embrace innovation. They're willing to learn from each other. And I, your enthusiasm and and work and, and embracing of this seems to have caught in the eye of, I know the Kresge Foundation has named Wayne Metro as part of their next-gen learning group. And we'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, last week um, we met with five um, what they call emblematic human service agencies here in Detroit. Um, we are going to uh, start a two-year journey with help from the Kresge Foundation with the Aspen Institute. Um, we're going to spend a lot of time looking at that, that um, value curve, they call it. Mm -hmm. Go from regula regulative to more, much more transformative. And so what, what we're seeing, um, it, it, you know, as, as they're talking and they're explaining, um, you know, I, I hear Roma ringing in my ears. I hear, you know, the theory of change. I mean, these are all things that we've heard coming from, from you all. Um, and, and, and so um, what, what's really cool about this is that these five organizations are going to really be tied together. Um, and, you know, funding helps. But, but you know, it, 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 it is a learning community of sorts. Um, and, and, and so we have um, we actually lifted this up as like the, the innovative um, learning community group. So we will, um, you know, we're excited that you'll be able to walk this path with us as we kind of move toward that um, human service model that is very human centric, very whole family um, and, you know, change our organization despite all of the things that we have to deal with, with funding and, and um, you know, multiple sources um, that, that we are going to find ways to do it and, and, and people who have done it already um, are, are going to kind of guide us through it. So that's super exciting. Um, and then just today, we heard from the Cities for Financial Empowerment um, that the pilot that we went through with our learning community group um, around tax foreclosure, um, we have been selected as the nonprofit partner with the City of Detroit, the Wayne County Treasurer's Office, the Bloomberg Foundation, J.P. Morgan Chase, all these like, you know, names. Um, we we are that organization. And so for two years now, starting probably the end of March, early April, the training will begin. Um, but Wayne Metro will be that nonprofit partner here standing up the Cities for Financial Empowerment Centers here in the city of Detroit. So that's like another big deal <laughs> that oh came out of. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's huge. That's it's fantastic. Huge. It is huge. Like, um, you know, we we know that we do good work. We know that what we're doing is um, important to people and that, you know, we are, but, but there's, there's something about documenting that work, um, you know, bringing other people into that work and not being really afraid to um, be a little self-serving when it makes sense um, um, that, that, you know, we kind of like put ourselves out there as, you know, we've got the capacity um, we have the desire. We have all like all the pieces in place. Now it's just a matter of you know with with this learning 
community group, we just treated it a different way. It wasn't just about the work. It was doing good work, but then it was coming back together and looking at it and discussing it and, you know, knowing that like, like everyone kind of knew and it, 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 it really kind of brought a different perspective, a different energy, a different feel to, to doing the work. Um, it, it, you know, it, it just deepened everything. So thank you for that. Um, we, we have a lot of work ahead of us, but it's all really amazing stuff. Well, and one of the things you said, you talked earlier about when you were in the, the crisis group and talking about the human services value curve and how all of that resonates. It is what community action does. It is our performance management system. We are talking about outcomes. We are talking about blending and braiding resources to, to do community transformation. That's where community action sits. And I liked how you phrased it. We, we can't be afraid. We have to walk well, you know, we walk we walk firmly into that space because we are that space. We we are the place where that innovation happens. Wow, you just you just, you guys just have so much going on at Wayne Metro. That's just fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing all that with us here today. Well, thank you. Um, we look forward to um, you know sharing more. Like I said, you know, we submitted um, this this Kresge Next Gen um, journey as like our you know the next round, the innovation round of of the learning community. Group. So, um, you know, I think the more we can share, the more we can bring um, and, 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 you know, get, get, you know, additional supports and insights from you all, the better, you know, everything will kind of be. So, um, yeah, we're, we're excited. We got a lot going on. Um, but, you know, good stuff comes out of learning. Um, and, and, and this group really did kind of help um, kind of get that moving in, in, in a much different way. We, you know, thinking. <laughs> We're just thinking differently than we ever have, and it's 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 paying paying off. So it's good stuff. Well, thank you so much for being with us here today, and folks, we're just going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Community action agencies, state associations, are true advocates when it comes to fighting poverty. I hope you, as community action professionals, are planning on joining NCAF in Washington, D.C., March 19th through the 22nd for the annual legislative conference hosted by our sister organization, NCAF, the National Community Action Foundation. Find out more at ncaf.org. Okay, so welcome back to the Building Opportunities for All podcast. Today, we are joined by Dr. Dana Long. Um, Dr. Long serves as the medical director for the Department of Community Health and Engagement at the University of California at San Francisco's Benioff Children's Hospital. In addition to that, um, Dr. Long serves as a subject matter expert for the Learning Communities Resource Center's Health Intersections Learning Community Group. That was a mouthful. Welcome, Dr. Long. Thank you. Um, and so just to kick off our conversation, would love to, to, to hear a little bit more about your own story. I hear that you're an AmeriCorps VISTA alum. Is that right? <laughs> yes, that's right. And it always fascinates me how our own journeys really help to dictate and influence our future and um, how we sort of get to how we get to where we are. So I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in a single parent household. My mother was an educator. 
um, as are all of my aunts and uncles. Um, my father uh, was from the south, um, well, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and very much grew up in ex extreme poverty um, mm -hmm. under sort of Jim Crow segregation and joined the service. And after the service, he went to Korea. He got on the GI Bill, moved to California, met my mother. Um, I always had this social justice bent to me with a true love of science and understanding how our biologic systems drive behavior. When I went to college, I double majored in African and African American history and biology. And after four years at Stanford, I felt as if I really needed to spend time with my people, with my community, and immerse myself in the work of social justice. And so I joined President Bill Clinton's first class, the inaugural class wow. of AmeriCorps VISTA. Um, and I served at the Los Angeles Free Clinic as a peer health educator, working with other young people, many of whom were teen parents or were part of gangs or were recovering from substance abuse issues or themselves were homeless. And we went to juvenile justice centers, parks, squats, shelters, and we just hung out with other young people, and we talked wow. about issues of community violence, substance abuse, how to keep yourself safe, HIV and AIDS. Um, it was really an important experience for me because it taught me a lot about humility, about the importance of someone's narrative, about resilience, and about trauma. Wow. That's very fascinating. And so... Now, now you are the, the, the medical director at the hospital and really serving as an expert across uh, the, 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 the health care field uh, as it relates uh, to promoting uh, a healing culture for families and communities. Uh, what more might you say um, around your your current point of view as it as it relates to what it means to to foster or really cultivate a healing culture so the work that i do now is focused on eliminating inequities that cause health disparities in order to promote environments where everyone can achieve optimal outcomes and that's optimal outcomes across the board physical health, mental health, economic, educational outcomes. And we do that through innovative research on health equity, through systems thought leadership and advocacy, as well as through practice and clinical transformation to really embody trauma-informed care systems. Mm -hmm. The most current research that I've been doing is on social determinants of health, and early childhood adversity, about how experiences of abuse, neglect, household dysfunction, food insecurity, community violence, homelessness, discrimination, are causing disruption to our biologic systems. That stress becomes toxic and then leads to poor health outcomes such as obesity, diabetes, depression, asthma, high-risk behavior, suicidal ideation, mental health and learning issues, and making the connection from the social and the policy to the biologic in order to drive evidence-based policy to improve systems. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, what some of the impact, the potential impact on families 
has been as a result of what you just shared? Yes. So we are seeing a huge impact on how social determinants of health and early childhood adversity affect us over the life course. What we have learned is that the vast majority, actually over 90% of the adults in our community have at least one adverse childhood experience, and almost 50% have four or more. What we know is that if you have four or more adverse childhood experiences, then as an adult, you're almost twice as likely to have cancer, obesity, diabetes, hypertension. You are at risk for having more at-risk behaviors such as multiple sexual partners or substance abuse, and you're 12 times more likely to attempt suicide. These impacts are huge, and we actually can start to see the symptomatology very early. So as an infant, you're more likely to be born with a low birth weight or to be born early, more likely to have sleep disturbances, as a child, more likely to have asthma or allergies or learning issues. Children that have four or more ACEs are 32 times more likely to have learning and behavioral issues. And then the impacts follow you into adulthood, as I suggested, higher rates of obesity, diabetes, asthma, depression. You spoke quite a quite a bit about this um, during an earlier webinar that you, that you facilitated uh, for the partnership during our webinar Wednesday series. It was entitled Health Impact of the Physical and Social Environments. And so you elaborate on that quite a bit and provide resources. And so we want our listeners to check on the partnership website at www.communityactionpartnership to learn more about what um, Dr. Long is talking about, and that, again, that insight that you just offered is helpful. Can you talk a little bit about, um, or let me put it this way, what does this have to do with poverty? <laughs> and for those of us who are involved in anti-poverty work like community action, what can we do? So... It's all linked to poverty. Um, what we know of ACEs is that issues of abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction can affect us across the social economic spectrum. ACEs do impact everyone, but there is an exponential driver for the amount of adversity that's suffered for families that live in poverty particularly when you add in the domain of determinants of health. We looked at factors that have an evidence base to drive biologic disruption that leads to stress mm. and issues of food insecurity, housing instability, community violence, discrimination and bullying. All of that is very prevalent in communities that are low income and those factors now have the same biologic effects as mm. abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction in terms of leading to poor health outcomes. That's a lot. And the the insight and the wisdom that you 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 bring to our discussions uh, as a community action network about uh, you know how we can really 
begin to understand uh, what some of those causes of poverty is, which it sounds like uh, our our lack of health and well-being and lack of access um, to health care and um, other strategies related to that can uh, further perpetuate um, one's um, economic mobility. And so that insight is quite helpful. And you have been serving as a subject matter expert uh, for the learning community for about two years. Is that right? That's right. And I would be cautious here because we also see an immense amount of strength and resiliency and beauty in our mm -hmm. low-income communities. And mm -hmm. so it's always a both and. And so mm -hmm. poverty and the factors of discrimination or food insecurity or poor educational systems or housing instability, those are drivers of poor health. But sure. we also have to balance that with the positive effects of the strengths that our community has and really mm -hmm. rely and lean into that resiliency. And there are mm -hmm. ways to build resiliency on an individual level to strengthen the connection between parents and children. We can focus on issues of mindfulness and how we regulate ourselves. We can focus on community health and well-being in terms of making sure that our community is connected and that we actually are looking at these topics as an entire community and so that the entire community is on board for resolving food insecurity. So we're pulling in our urban farmers, we're pulling in our food banks and our healthcare systems and our schools to make sure that families are connected to the resources that they need and then we can use that data to drive policy change in order to get more families, for instance, the food that they need, or help to improve the, the poor quality of housing within a lot of our communities. So you've served as a subject matter expert for our Health Intersections Learning Community Group. What are the opportunities for innovation uh, that you see for community action agencies at this time? Where do you see promise? I, I actually see promise everywhere. I feel as if there are so many bright spots. There are so many people doing great work. It's just figuring out how to sustain and scale that on a national level. And so figuring out amongst community action partnerships, what are the bright spots? What are the brightest spots? What are they doing? And how can we actually replicate it? As opposed to each of us individually doing our own thing, how can we actually all get on the same page and make the most change by working together as as opposed to just working within our own silos? That's great. And so uh, you're going to be leading this uh, new 2019 cohort, the Inter Health Intersections cohort. Uh, what uh, can those of us who are standing on the sidelines and eavesdropping on your conversation uh, with this group look forward to? What are going to be some of the things that you're going to be sure to touch on during the coming year that you think could be of um, value for everybody to know? Well, the first that I would love help from you guys with is just to do universal screening, right? Mm -hmm. we, we have to be able to ask these hard questions. We need to ask about discrimination. We need to be able to ask about poverty. We need to be able to talk about mental health um, because they are impacting our community every single day. So on, on, on the initial level, 
let's do universal screening amongst all these community action partnerships and then be able to lift up the data so that we can actually drive the, the federal agenda. Um, and we need to be able to create heat maps and do hot spotting to say what areas are resource wealthy, what areas are resource poor, and then do quality improvement in those areas that are resource poor based upon the data that we generate to pour resources into those communities. Um, I think that if we all could actually start to advocate for a list of two to three things and push that agenda forward, it would be really helpful. Well, Dr. Long, we want to thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of Building Opportunities for All podcast. You were fantastic. To all of our wonderful listeners out there, do visit the partnership website to learn more about the innovative innovative work taking place in the health intersection space. Thank you. So, Tiffany, it's been great to hear from local organizations, um, subject matter experts about the great work that's been going on in the Learning Communities Resource Center. And I know that we have webinar Wednesdays. I believe they're open to everybody, right? Um, agency staff, frontline, managers, EDs, board members, volunteers, and even partner organizations. Is that true? Are they free and open to the public? Yes, absolutely. Everyone is welcome to participate, Denise. Because yeah, community action just isn't, we're not just about serving our local agencies, it's about fighting the causes and conditions of poverty. So, so many of our tools and resources, they're not hidden behind a, a member wall. They are open to everyone. Again, where can, and, and we have tools and resources, right, that are good for EDs, project directors, frontline. Can you talk a little bit about how all folks in an organization can learn from the work of the LCRC? So the resources within the Learning Communities Resource Center is available for everyone, for the entire agency, Denise. And they're so easily accessible. You can play the webinars, you can download toolkits, they're PDF, they're emailable. Um, yeah, so I hope that if you're looking to be an up-and-comer in your organization, you want to learn more to be that next project director, you can attend the web you get the webinars. You're a project director who wants to think about transforming your local department, you can access the toolkits. If you're the executive director, you want to look at systems change within your organization, you can find out who was involved in these learning communities, right? And and reach out yes. to your peers and colleagues. There's just so much information for everyone up at communityactionpartnership.com. And you yes. can see it's under programs and initiatives and then click on Learning Communities Resource Center. Yes, and so actually if folks just go to tools and resources on the main partnership, yes, that's a, that's a great way to access the resources. The other thing I want to emphasize is this whole notion of the peer network. Yep. And so within the learning community itself, um, peers who who have maybe already created a process or, you know, understand on what it means to um prepare staff for a new innovation, they are they are willing to share that information internally with um, folks within the learning community. In addition to that, we've spent a lot of time as a project um, sharing what we call transformation stories. And so we just have a wealth of, of, of webinar uh, segments as well as case studies that highlight perspectives from peers straight from our network. And certainly if agencies are interested in learning a little more 
more about an in, in, innovation and how to get started, we would love for them to give us a call and we would love to put them in contact with other peers within our network that can help them to begin to move their effort forward. Fantastic. And I hope folks remember webinar Wednesdays. And I know at the annual convention in August, we will be doing sessions built on what we've learned in LTRC. So thanks again, Tiffany, for being with us here today. Thank you to everyone who has listened uh, to this podcast series. And we look forward to seeing you on future episodes. Have a great day. Thank you. The National Community Action Partnership recognizes the efforts that all of you are putting forth every day to make a difference in your local community. The Community Action Promise states, Community Action changes people's lives, embodies the spirit of hope, improves communities, and makes America a better place to live. We care about the entire community, and we are dedicated to helping people help themselves and each other. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and watch for our weekly episodes. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.